And a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up on today's Catholic View, being a Thursday, Shayla's Day, we take a look at our woman feature. Today we focus on women deacons, care for FGM survivors, and women's player of the year award. All of this coming up a little bit later, but for now though, do stay tuned as Mahadi Butelez is ready to bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond today. Listen to Radio Veritas, 5.76 a.m. for a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond. Give voice to the plight of refugees. Pope tells ambassadors clerics commit to promote unity and reconciliation in Rwanda and WYD symbols to arrive in Krakow. The rich who exploit the poor are blood suckers. That was the message of Pope Francis during the morning mass at the Casa Santa Marta. Francis said exploiting the working people to enrich oneself is like sucking blood. It's a mortal sin. The day's first reading taken from the letter of St. James is a forceful warning to the rich who accumulate wealth by exploiting the people. Riches in themselves are good, the Pope explained, but they are relative, not absolute goods. Francis criticized the so-called theology of prosperity and reminded the faithful gathered of the simplicity that Jesus speaks to us of in the Gospel of today. A glass of water in the name of Christ is more important than all the riches accumulated through the exploitation of the people. Pope Francis received ambassadors from Estonia, Malawi, Namibia, the Seychelles, Thailand and Zambia, who together presented their letters of credence on Thursday. Chris Artiri reports. In remarks prepared for the occasion, Pope Francis reflected on the concrete reminder of our common humanity that diplomatic service provides, and upon mindfulness of which effective diplomatic activity depends. This service, said Pope Francis, has taken on a particular urgency, as so many in our world are suffering conflicts and war forced migration and displacement, and the uncertainty born of economic hardship. The Holy Father went on to say these problems demand not only that we reflect upon them and discuss them, but that we also express concrete signs of solidarity with our brothers and sisters in grave need. Questo servizio ha assunto una particolare urgenza dal momento che tante persone nel mondo stanno soffrendo conflitti e guerre. Peace was a central focus of Pope Francis' reflections, specifically and especially the service to the cause of peace the nations of the world are called to render by finding ways creatively and effectively to manage the tensions created and exacerbated by conflicts that destroy whole societies and drive people from their homes. While our initiatives on behalf of peace should help people to remain in their homelands, he said, This present hour urges us to assist migrants and those caring for them. We must not allow misunderstanding and fear to weaken our resolve. 
Rather, we are called to build a culture of dialogue, one which enables us to view others as valid dialogue partners, to respect the foreigner, the immigrant, and people from different cultures as worthy of being listened to. The Holy Father went on to say, in this way, we will promote an integration which respects the traditions of migrants and preserves the culture of the community receiving them, all the while enriching both. Warning against acceding to the temptations of partial and short-sighted solutions which do not address the underlying issues that block the way toward genuine, just, and lasting peace among peoples in the world, Pope Francis said, If misunderstanding and fear prevail, something of ourselves dies. Our cultures, history, and traditions are weakened, and our own peace is compromised. Se incomprensione e paura prevalgono, qualcosa di noi stessi è danneggiato. When, however, we foster dialogue and solidarity both individually and collectively, it is then that we experience the best of humanity and secure an enduring peace for all, as intended by our Creator. The Holy Father concluded his remarks with particular greetings through the newly accredited ambassadors to the pastors and faithful of the Catholic communities present in their countries, encouraging the Catholic communities there always to be heralds of hope and peace. The Pope made explicit reference to those Christian and minority communities suffering persecution for their beliefs. Ad essi rinnovo il mio sostegno nella preghiera e la mia solidarietà. To them I renew my prayerful support and solidarity, he said. For its part, Pope Francis said finally, the Holy See is honored to be able to strengthen with each of the ambassadors and with the countries they represent an open and respectful dialogue and a constructive collaboration. I'm Chris Oltieri. On Wednesday, the 18th of May, Rwandan leaders of various religious denominations committed to join hands with the National Unity and Reconciliation Commission, NURC, by including the I Am Rwandan program in their preaching to promote cohesion among believers. Speaking of the meeting, Bishop Philippe Rukamba, the spokesperson of the Catholic Church in Rwanda, said the church had embarked on several engagements aimed to promote the I Am Rwandan program to restore peace, unity, and reconciliation among Rwandans. According to the UN Humanitarian Affairs Chief Stephen O'Brien, the Nigerian government, together with the UN and other agencies, are all working night and day to try and free captives being held by the terrorist group. Boko Haram. Mr. O'Brien said reports that one of the Chibok schoolgirls abducted by Boko Haram two years ago had been found had generated quite excitement across Nigeria. Matthew Wells reports. A total of 276 schoolgirls were snatched from their classrooms in northeast Nigeria in 2014. And according to news reports on Wednesday, Amina Ali Nkeki is the first to be freed of the 219 who remained in captivity following an initial escape. She was travelling with the baby and a suspected Boko Haram fighter when she was picked up by government-backed forces. Speaking to reporters by phone from Nigeria, Under Secretary General O'Brien said that multiple UN agencies were working extremely closely on a local and national level to help free all people held by Boko Haram. Over 2,000 women and girls have been abducted by the terrorists. 
the news of one of the Chibok girls being uh, found and being returned is, of course, something which gives people both a higher degree of confidence and hope that it is a quiet excitement. There is a deep recognition that there are thousands more than must now also be found. We're all working night and day to try and do that. Mr O'Brien said it was wonderful news that the girl had been found, but said apart from those abducted, the wider humanitarian needs were urgent. 2.2 million Nigerians have been displaced due to Boko Haram and more than 20,000 killed. War and conflict are behind a global displacement crisis that left the UN Refugee Agency needing half a billion US dollars to help two million people. In a call for funds on Wednesday, UNHCR said that the past decade has seen a sharp rise in the number of people on the move, currently estimated at 60 million globally. Daniel Johnson reports from Geneva. The focus of the $500 million UNHCR appeal launched on Wednesday is on providing shelter for 2 million refugees. An estimated 60 million people are forcibly displaced around the world and 20 million of them are refugees who've had to flee across international borders. Humanitarian funding is failing to keep pace, the agency says, and millions of refugees are struggling to manage in inadequate and dangerous dwellings. Launching the campaign, UNHCR chief Filippo Grandi said that no refugee should be left outside. He described shelter as a foundation stone for refugees' survival that should be a non-negotiable human right. The agency warns that without a major increase in donations, millions of people fleeing war and persecution face homelessness or inadequate housing from Lebanon to Mexico to Tanzania. The regions most in need of help include the Middle East and North Africa, Asia and Europe. In sub-Saharan Africa, meanwhile, only 20% of the $255 million that's needed is available. Daniel Johnson, Geneva. And finally, preparations for World Youth Day 2016 in Poland are gathering pace. The World Youth Day symbols, the Holy Year Cross and the copy of an icon of Our Lady Sailors Populi Romani are due to arrive on May the 20th in the Archdiocese of Krakow. The symbols will be brought to the sanctuary of Pope St. John Paul II in Krakow and are expected to visit over 200 churches and 50 schools as well as a number of prisons and hospitals ahead of the YWD celebrations to be presided over by Pope Francis at the end of July. And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. I am Mahadi Butelezi. And I'd like to thank Mahadi Butelezi for bringing us up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond today. It is the Catholic View coming to you on 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV audio bouquet. This is Radio Veritas, the station that brings you the good news for a change. And I'm Sheila Pirsch. Well, coming up next, it's our woman feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. 
Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our feature on women. Today we focus on women deacons, care for FGM survivors and women's player of the year award. When Pope Francis accepted a proposal at the Vatican May 12 to form a commission to study the possibility of women serving as deacons today, it generated a lot of buzz. The Pope's agreement on the idea, raised by members of the International Union of Superiors General, the leadership group for superiors of women's orders, was interpreted by some as a thumbs-up to women deacons and eventually women priests, which the Vatican spokesman was quick to rebuke the following day. Pope Francis did not say he intends to introduce a diaconal ordination for women, and he certainly did not speak about the ordination of women priests, said Jesuit Father Federico Lombardi, the Vatican spokesman. But even a study of women deacons suggested by women and approved by the Pope comes with a lot of weight, comes with a lot of support and a lot of enthusiasm to many women, religious and non-religions. Hence my conversation with theologian Notando Hadebe. In this interview, I began by asking her whether the church needs women deacons. Definitely. You know, it's the same as asking, does the church need women and they give? You know, so, this, so, so those two are kind of like the same uh, uh, question. The woman does need, uh, the church, sorry, does need women deacons as much as the church needs women, as much as the church needs the gifts of women, and, 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 and to acknowledge, more importantly, what women are already doing in sustaining the churches, uh, particularly in Africa and in throughout the world. Although some may argue that, okay, back in the day, centuries, many centuries ago, there were women deacons in the church for various reasons. One of them, because of the way baptisms were carried back in the days, it was important to have a woman deacon to do this to women, but today baptisms are carried differently. And then there's the argument of also um, lots of religious uh, sisters, for example, not wanting to become deacons, but there are lots of arguments when it comes to the the ruling of uh, women deacons. Why would you say the church really needs women deacons? What are some of the reasons behind this? Um, I just want to go back to just to highlight uh, the, the point that you made that maybe some women don't want to be deacons. Uh, maybe some women feel like, um, you know, that this is not what the church needs. Or some people may be opposed. They go back and they say that, women were, were important in, like, baptizing because that was adult baptism. Um, and, 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 and really, you know, when you look at the literature, like, like any um, a controversial subject, 
you always find that on both sides there will be people that will be able to prove their point. But I think one of the things really, I think we have evolved to a state where proving uh, a point really is not the issue. The issue is that right at this moment, the church is growing. There are less and less priests that are being that are coming that are taking up the priesthood. There are more and more women that have been trained. There are more women that are now opening up to their gifts. The spirit is moving in ways that we've not been able to to you know to understand. And and so this is really not a, a question of who is winning any kind of of thing. This is the question of the growth of the church. This is a, a question of looking deeper into those individuals who are called. And if they are called and they are women and, and, and the opportunity is, is there for them to be deacons, then really it, it shouldn't even be uh, something that we are struggling with. We are already struggling with the capacity of building the church. And you know, and even when we're talking about the whole issue of baptism, uh, there, there are a lot of adults being baptized today, and, and even to, to, to put an age limit, the, 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 the ethos, the very foundation of what we are talking about is the capacity, is the strengthening, is the deepening of faith. And it does not, and, and the fact that this is emerging, we know that, you know, for a long time there was, an, you know, it was only priests and bishops, and only in this century was the male the diaconate revived, and that, that has helped the church. And so in this century, too, the female diaconate is being revived, and it will help to build the church. We, we don't have time for gender wars. We have time to ensure that every functioning parish has got the personnel who are gifted, who are able to do what is necessary. We need people, like if we look at what the women deacons did, they prayed and anointed the sick. They were involved in the discipleship and, and, and the nurturing and the formation of, 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 of converts. They were involved in the altar service. So we need all of that. We know that there are priestless parishes all over uh, the world. So this is not an, this is not a time to be thinking about which ideology one is 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 choosing. This is a time to think about what suits the 21st century. You have a pool of educated women who are able to preach, who are able to strengthen, who are able to bring new you know new understanding, who offer their gifts uh, to the church. So this is what we are talking about. And this is just as the spirit moves for the diaconate for men to be open, the spirit is moving again for the diaconate of women because the church needs that. Okay. Really, we have to evolve. We yeah. have to think, we have to put the church, the needs of people of, and the growth of the church before our ideology. All right. Now, looking at um, female deacons in the uh, African context, I was yes. the other day I was just speaking to uh, a religious nun from uh, Rustenburg. Actually, she goes by the name of Sister Mary John Langeni. She was visiting Radio Veritas, and she said something about um, this, that although she's not keen to become a deacon herself, should yes. this be approved, she also feels that in a place like Rustenburg, it's a place that 
they have more women than men in that area. They have problems with clergy. They they hardly have priests around to do most of the work in the area of in the diocese of Rustenburg. So she said <laughs> having female deacons would perhaps help fill the gaps of where clergy does does not reach, especially in the rural areas as well, where people need have the need for evangelization and you don't have enough clergymen um, to help them. But at the same time, you also think of what about religious nuns? I mean, they already nuns. They have the right to evangelize wherever they are. But uh, yeah, that was one of her concerns that maybe perhaps in a case like that in rural Africa, there is a greater need for female deacons. Not even in rural, but in every parish. You need the, 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 the women deacons to deal with fundamental female issues that are facing a majority of, of all the, of the congregants in any parish are women. And women deacons will be able in the 21st century uh, to bring their skills. We've got women gynecologists, we've got women psychologists, and there is a recognition. Um, I mean, the fundamental teaching of the church is that men and women are different. And, and we so also, sorry to cut you there, Notano, but we also have women canon lawyers. Absolutely, absolutely. And they will bring the gifts, you know, instead of, uh, you know, uh, debating, they are bringing gifts to the table to strengthen the church. People, let's focus on the good, the common good and the crisis that we have right now where they are not enough formators. So the spirit, when the spirit moves to say, I'm going to raise an army of women, we should be clapping because it means that there's going to be the personnel that is necessary, that is called, that is committed to strengthen the church, to make it function. I, 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 not, I'm not, I, I don't even understand why there would be resistance to the movement of the spirit when there's such a great need throughout the world. All right, Natanda, we're running out of time, but to sum things up, quickly tell us why should the church install a female deacons and uh, how would the church benefit from this? I think that um, the church should uh, follow the leading of the Spirit, just as the Spirit uh, reminded the church that there were married men that were deacons, and then they followed that and they saw the important role that they play in the church. The same spirit is urging the church to open up to women because of the crisis that is going on at the moment. There is not enough personnel to carry out the function. And the spirit is the one who gives gifts without, uh, without a gender qualification. So if there are, more, there are definitely more women than men, and they are calling for opportunities to practice the service that will strengthen the church, this is not a competition. This is opening up the capacity of the church to really create a, a parishes where that are fully functioning, that people are being formed, that there is uh, personnel to do all the ministries of the church, to go out to look for the sick, to disciple, to form, to do the altar service. This there is a crisis in the church. The spirit is responding to a crisis in the church, and therefore, women deacons are part of that answer. They are sisters. You know, they are, just, they are people that are committed, that love Christ. So they are wanting to give of their lives to serve the church. 
people. What, what, what do you want? No, 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 no. Let's allow the spirit. Let's allow those that are called. Let's allow that those that are qualified and passionate to have the space to do what they are, they are passionate about for the building of the church. Let's put our ideologies aside. The church is in a crisis. Let's act. Let's build. Let's take it forward. Thank you so much, Natando, for talking to us once again right here on the Catholic View Women feature. Thank, Thank you, you so much for the opportunity. New guidelines on the management of health complications from female genital mutilation or FGM have been released by the World Health Organization, WHO. FGM is a partial or total removal of external genitalia or other injury to female genital organs for non-medical reasons. Globally, there are 200 million women and girls living with FGM. Jocelyn Sambira has the story. Female genital mutilation, or FGM, has no health benefits, can cause grave harm, and violates the rights of girls and women, WHO warns. 30 countries in Africa practice FGM, including a few countries in Asia and the Middle East. But with increased global migration, more cases are happening in Europe, North America, and elsewhere. Dr. Lale Sai is the WHO coordinator in the Department for Adolescents and At-Risk Populations team. Despite efforts to eradicate this practice, every year 3 million girls and women are at risk of being undergone to this procedure and uh, risk of exposure to the health consequences of this harmful practice. Young girls before the age of 15 are especially vulnerable. Procedures can cause severe bleeding, problems urinating, infections, and even death. FGM can also result in complications in childbirth and increased risk of newborn deaths. Other long-term health problems include sexual dysfunction, psychological risks like depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. WHO is helping health workers provide better care to women and girls who have undergone cutting through training and allowing them access to the right information. Dr. Doris Shu is a medical officer with WHO. In the work of this guideline, we documented that there is a great gap of evidence. We found that there are tremendous needs for research, and we need to intensify efforts to train healthcare providers. The dissemination and implementation of these guidelines will be a critical step towards making sure that the quality of health care and the health comes of these girls and women are improved. The guidelines also warn against the so-called medicalization of the practice, which is what happens when health care providers perform FGM when families aware of the health complications make the request. Sometimes the health care workers are asked to perform reinfibulation after delivery. Infibulation is the complete excision of the clitoris and sewing up of the vagina. Here's Dr. Doris Shu again. Medicalization is never acceptable because it violates medical ethics as it is a harmful practice. Medicalization itself perpetuates FGM and the risks outweigh any perceived benefits. For Dr. Shu, healthcare providers can become influential agents of change and prevent FGM from happening in their communities by rejecting requests for medicalization, recognize FGM and its complications, and appropriately treat the girls and women. Meanwhile, Kenyan families wanting their daughters to undergo ritual genital cutting are increasingly arranging for it to be done secretly at night to avoid arrest. That's according to campaigners attending a women's rights conference. 
FGM is illegal in Kenya, which is widely seen as leading the way in efforts to eradicate the internationally condemned practice. About a quarter of girls and women in Kenya have undergone FGM. Lina Kilimu, the chairwoman of Kenyan's anti-FGM board, said the government would introduce an FGM hotline this year that people could call if they thought a girl was about to be cut. Cameroon's forward, Gael Nganamawoti of FC Rosengard, has been nominated among five other players for the BBC Women's Player of the Year Award. The 23-year-old Cameroonian is the only African enlisted, and her performance in 2015 speaks for itself. She finished the Swedish Championship as top scorer with 18 goals to her credit, earning the Golden Boot with Eskilstuna United DFF. Exiting the 2015 World Cup at the knockout stage, Gael Engenamoiti had left her footprints with a hat trick in Cameroon's 6-0 defeat against Ecuador, the first for an African at the highest football level. She was crowned African player in 2015 and won the 2016 Swedish Super League with Rosengard prior to her nomination. Her international debut started in 2012 with Spartak Subotica in the Serbian League, where she is said to have scored the fastest goal in three seconds. The winner of the BBC Women's Football of the Year 2016 will be revealed on Tuesday, 24th May. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time Know there was something bad and something bad I left behind When I leave this world I'll leave no regrets Leave something to remember So they won't forget I was here You've been listening to our feature on women right here on the Catholic View. Thank you so much for your time. Remember that should you wish to get in touch with us or should you wish to contribute towards this feature, feel free to email me, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. This has been your Thursday's edition of the Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, Catholic View is a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Until Tuesday at the same time, God bless you and ciao, ciao.